Um, so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. Um, to begin with, um, Where did the document go? I just don't know. <laughs> do, you want me to do you want me to send it to you? Uh, I don't know. Give me one second. <laughs> okay, don't worry. You could, I'm used to this with the podcast. You can start again <laughs> and just edit. Um, so to start off, um, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, firstly, uh, thank you for having me and, and, you know, interviewing me. This is very uh, interesting and also learning a little bit more about Hubble Magazine. So it's an absolute pleasure and honour to um, be speaking with you today. So my name is Dr. Bahija Raimi Abraham. Um, I'm a pharmacist and then I went on to do a PhD in an area called pharmaceutics, which is pharmaceutics is referred to as the science of dosage form design, essentially making medicines. And um, so after my PhD, I did a variety of different things, which I'm happy to talk about later on. Um, and I'm currently a lecturer in pharmaceutics at King's College London where I lead my research group. The, the name of my research group is not the most um, amazing title. It's just my surname, the Rhyme Abraham Group. Please follow us on all platforms. <laughs> um, but you can actually find out a little bit more about the Rhyme Abraham Group at the rhymeabrahamgroup.com. Uh, but our overall aim is quite broad and I'll explain why. So overall aim is solving pharmaceutical challenges in aging and global health. And aging and global health are our core research pillars. And, and this is because of um, how important these two areas are, you know. Um, and then a uh, these are the foundation of, of, this is the foundation of uh, the work we do in the group. And then we have what we call cross-cutting themes, which build upon these research pillars. And those themes uh, include pharmaceutical materials and innovative manufacture. So essentially making very novel things, I'm not playing it down, but I'm just trying to simplify it a bit. Um, looking at the therapeutic and what we call multi-morbidity aspects of infection. Now, what we mean by multimorbidity, so very often um, when we look at a patient and they have a certain disease or a certain infection, we forget that, you know, somebody, so my particular interest is malaria. And so we, we have to remember that somebody could have a, you know, have a malaria infection, but also could be diabetic, could also have high blood pressure. And so it's making sure that when we are treating and thinking about treatments for patients, we're looking at them in totality and not just assuming that, oh, I'm interested in malaria, so I'm only going to focus on malaria. What happens to um, or how does malaria affect somebody who also has diabetes or, you know, uh, just giving that for example. So that's that's that um, theme. Then uh, the third theme is nano-facilitated drug delivery strategies in infection prevention and treatment. So essentially looking at how can nanotechnology um, be used to improve um, drug delivery strategies for prevention and treatment. So um, and I think that's quite um, self-explanatory. And then the last theme, uh, which is looking at falsified substandard um, unregulated and unlicensed medicines and looking at pathways or trying to implement, implement pathways to impact and understanding what's going on there. Okay, got it. Um, so I actually went through your website a little bit. Um, what do you think Thanks. is like <laughs> um, the favorite, like the project you find, like you had like a guest most interest in working on or like which you found yourself most involved in? 
that is a very tricky, tr tricky question. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm excited about everything. So unfortunately, I don't have a favorite. <laughs> I find all of it very interesting. And I, I think part of it is because um, one of the things that I so in terms of my own journey into science, as I mentioned, I studied pharmacy. And I think growing up, um, I was very interested in science, but I was also very interested in the arts, uh, particularly drama. I like to act and, and things like that. I like to draw, but I wasn't great. Um, and I think what was interesting in my own journey into, I guess, where, I'm, where I am today is I was very used to being creative in um, arts, as I said, drawing, not well, but, you know, in sort of the arts. And then when I did my final year project in pharmacy, so uh, the degree in the UK is four years, although now it's, it's going to be integrated five years. And in your final year, because it's a master's degree, um, in your final year, you do a project. And so that research project really expanded my mind. And I didn't understand up until then that you could be creative in science. And what I love about everything that we do in the group is literally as you think it, you can create it. So when we're thinking about, okay, we're trying to design a dosage form that would be um, suitable for under fives, let's say, or children or even older adults uh, with a certain disease state, we think about it, we imagine, we design it in our minds and then use, for example, 3D printing or electro spinning and create the system that could potentially save people and, and help people. So I don't have a favorite theme. Um, and if anything, I sometimes have to um, sometimes have to stop myself from expanding the themes because I'm so excited about everything. It's very, that's one of the things I struggle with, actually. I'm like, oh, let's do that. Nope. Keep the focus. Um, so I, I don't have a favorite theme, but I, I just I think for me, it's ultimately what I hope with the work that I do, what I hope with uh, our research is that we will save lives and, and positively um, impact people. And so that's my motivation. So yeah, I don't have a favorite, but I, I as I said, I struggle to sometimes uh, be disciplined in not getting involved in everybody's <laughs> research. Um, so yeah. That's a beautiful thought. I think a lot of people like wish to have something like in their future that they're looking for and they're as passionate about it as you are so that's yeah, yeah no thank you and and I think that's something that I didn't really get initially um about being an academic I didn't realize on my sort of career path and journey that there would be that creative freedom that's how I see it I see there's an element of creativity and, and creative freedom that is in in science and I think that well not just in science in research let's say and I do feel that sometimes we in the fields in our respective fields and in, in with our opportunity to conduct research I don't think we sometimes take note of how much of a privilege it, it is to use your mind so creatively to positively make a change, make a difference and contribute to the world. And I, I, that's just my recent reflections over the last year. I think for a lot of people, the last year has made us all think, delve deeper, understand why we're doing things or, and for some people that's made them realize maybe they're not doing what they want to do. Uh, for me, it's been a journey and it's made me realize and appreciate and be grateful for the opportunities that I have where, with the work that I do, so yeah. That's like really reflective and like, pretty cool to hear that um, yeah um so Thank moving you. on to um the next question um what yeah. attracted you to becoming a lecturer and being an academia yeah so um i 
it's a very tricky one because obviously I've highlighted my passion and I've talked about my journey and understanding into being creative in science in particular and the potential to help people but I also think that your career is a journey life is a journey not to be too philosophical but your career is a journey and I don't I think when especially depending on the stage you are in your career whether you're in high school and you're doing your O levels GCSE whatever and you're picking those subjects then you move on to your A levels whatever your the degree or the, the the level is you are almost made to feel that the decisions you're making is like the decision for the rest of your life you know um, so a lot of the time when people think oh okay let's talk about university if say I'm going to study whatever subject it's like that's what I'm going to be for the rest of my life it doesn't work that way and so for me my career journey um, getting to this point of saying hello hi I'm Dr B. Jeremy Abraham lecturer blah 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 it's not planned it wasn't planned at all um, it actually has been for me and I, I try and give this and this is my advice to everybody um, you can only see as far as you can see into the future in fact we can't really see that much into the future but you can only make decisions based on where the stage that you're at right now and the opportunities that are available to you and that's really how I've how I've approached my career so it's been twofold I know my I think there's a, an important point of you need to know and understand yourself um, and I am not able to to really be effective in anything that I don't have a passion for so that has been my driving force and there's a lot of debate around do you follow your passion or do you follow your talent some people are lucky that their talent and their passion merge into one um, I'm not quite sure where I fit in that so I can't necessarily divulge into where I, I sat but I know that for me I I have always tried to follow my passion is that good? I don't know. And this is, you know, I'm just putting it out there. But for me, getting to this point of where I am has really just been following what I enjoy. So as I mentioned, so studying pharmacy, um, I enjoyed chemistry, I enjoyed science, I enjoyed the idea of, um, you know, doing something related to health, but also, I actually wanted to be an actress. So I was initially studying pharmacy to tick the box to say I had a degree so I can get back to acting. Now, the fact that I'm here talking to you about science lets you know how good my acting skills were <laughs> and the path that I ended up choosing. But I, I do sort of comment and say that in my sort of, oh, I'm just gonna tick the box and get a degree in a very sort of callous way, um, I then got distracted and did a PhD. A bit weird to say it that way but actually in part is because I then found a passion I then found a passion in research I found a passion in creativity in science because to me and that as I keep saying that is something that I still am in awe of just how you can think something it's just amazing for me anyway you can tell um so so in every part and when I had to make a decision about my career it was you know the next stage it really has been what do I enjoy is this making sense for, for me is this what I want to do? What is the gap of knowledge that I need to fill? So that's where I did a secondment and things like that at the European Medicines Agency. Um, so my choice to choose academia as my career path and, and what I wanted to do there was based on an, a passion for science, a passion for um, research, but also a feeling like I could still contribute and I wanted to do more. I wanted to refine and build my research focus and really try and 
contribute, as I keep saying, to helping people, to um, making an impact. And, and I'm still on that journey. I am nowhere near <laughs> where I, I need to be, but I'm, I'm on that journey. And I think it's important to understand as well that even where you get to where you think you've made it, you've achieved, it's always a journey. You've still got to keep growing. So I hope that answers the question. It's a bit of a waffled one, but I hope that answers the question. Um, it does. And I think, um, like, for example, people my age who are like maybe in 10th, 11th are like expected to kind of have their whole life planned out that nah. um, I want to go to this college. I want to study this. And like, no. I guess, yeah, so. like just hearing the fact that um, like you don't really have to win. Like, I guess, like you said, you can only see as far in the future as you can see, which is not a lot. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I say this with the sort of having been there, done that in the sense of obviously I am not young like that anymore. Um, but I, 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 I think one of the things that's very important is to have the right kind of mentorship on your, your, on your career journey and understanding that there is no such thing as the wrong choice. I think that's very important because especially when you're you're younger and you can verify this for me but there's this fear of making the wrong choice and the impacts that wrong choice is going to have in your future um and that is a fear that unfortunately doesn't go away we're always thinking oh is this the right choice for me should i do this should i do that but i think it's important to understand that there are no wrong that there are no wrong choices um if you are following your passion if you're getting some form of guidance as well so that guidance can be, you know, family support, because we all need some form of support, family, friends, your extended family or created family. Um, and then mentorship as well. Um, I, that's something I really try and advocate. And it doesn't have to be formalized mentorship. It can even be peer to peer support. But making sure that you're seeking advice, you're seeking um guidance to some extent from somebody who's a few steps ahead it doesn't even have to be somebody who's already working especially for, for your age group it could just be somebody who's already picked their a levels or whatever the other stage is because if you're now working towards one set of i'm sorry i don't know the um, schooling system but if let's say you're working towards would it be a levels or o, o levels or like a bachelor like your 16 year exams oh um that would be ESS assessment yeah so whatever so if let's say you know now you're working towards whatever the next bit of assessment is so it would be good then if you can be speaking to somebody who's already in the next stage and maybe somebody who's at university so then that gives you some idea because essentially you can only you're, you can only kind of try and form a decision about things um, if you have some idea of what to expect, even though you can't really predict those things. Do you see what I mean? So mentorship, a, a lot of people think of mentorship as, oh, I need to have somebody who's working in wherever. No, it can just be another student who's just a few years ahead. Um, so I think that's uh, an important point. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I think maybe even having someone who's a little bit closer to your age might even be more helpful because um, they've seen it like very recently and they know what. Yeah. 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 And, and also even peer to peer, like I, I'm, <laughs> I have a lot of mentors. Some of them don't know they're my mentors. I just turn up every so often like, Oh, can we have a meeting please? <laughs> um, you know, you know, it's just, it's just what I, what I need, but I, have also mentors uh, like peer mentors as well so yeah it's it's just 
it's more about reflecting and identifying what you need and seeking it um, and not being scared, I think, to approach people. What, the worst they'll say is no, and that's fine. People are allowed to say no. Um, it could be because of capacity, they don't have time for it, but at least just try, reach out to people, um, seek advice, you know, beyond sort of your circle, as it were. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting insight. Um, what I was kind of hoping we could shed some light on next was um, you founded King's College London Fight the Fakes last year. Um, if you could talk about that initiative and why you did it. Yeah, so um, as mentioned, one of the um, cross-cutting themes is about falsified, substandard, unlicensed and unregulated medicines. Um, and this came about because, so I, um, in 2018, 2018, gosh, it seems so far away now. So I have an interest, as I mentioned, in malaria. And in 2018, I traveled to Nigeria a couple of times. I, so my interest in malaria is looking also at where in the world is greatly affected by malaria. Um, there are 11 countries that contribute to the world's malaria, 10 in sub-Saharan Africa, and the 11th is actually um, India. And so, you know, I was very interested in what can I do? Like, how can I contribute to this? So my initial approach was Nigeria, because I had links and, and access there, um, as well as being Nigerian as well. So, you know, that was helpful. Um, and so I um, started this journey of understanding, because I think one of the important things when you are in a country that maybe so for example i'm based in the uk but if i'm interested in malaria in the uk it's more about imported malaria not you know malaria is not indigenous or endemic in the uk like that so if you're wanting to know what's going on in the countries where these conditions are are, are having impact i think it's important to go there and actually see what's going on and be on the ground um and so my journey into understanding the impact of fake medicine started before then but in terms of action um, following that trip, we had a Malaria in Africa What's Next event in 2019. Gosh, I'm getting my dates all confused. 2019. And, um, and uh, from that initiative and from the discussions, that was a two-day workshop with key stakeholders from Nigeria, Ghana, uh, Public Health England, UK. And um, one of the things that really kept coming up was the impact that fake medicines had in contributing to malaria uh, deaths. And not just in Nigeria, not just in Sub-Saharan Africa, but actually um, in malaria endemic areas. And so from that, I, I had actually, because prior to being at King's uh, College London, I was a postdoc at U uh, University College London. And so um, they'd already set up uh, UCL fight the fakes and the founder there um, was really supportive and was like look set why don't you set this initiative up because that the initiative at the time was a little bit more advocacy and awareness um, and I'm obviously looking at things from the research side and impact um, so that's how I then founded it last year and so um, the fight the fakes is a campaign and this is why I like it's a campaign that aims to raise awareness about the dangers of fake medicines but also giving a voice to those who've been personally impacted and I think it's important to highlight that when it comes to fake medicines it can be a very faceless thing we hear about it we talk about it all the time but when you actually talk to people and see people who've been impacted some people even have personal experiences as well um, it can really ch change um, how you view 
uh, and the your sort of motivation to to act. Um, and so with King's College and the Fight the Fakes campaign, our primary focus is around um, the global issue of fake medicines as it relates to anti-infective medicines. Now, it people think I planned that because of obviously now we're in a pandemic. It, I didn't plan it at all. I just had an interest in anti-infectives primarily because of malaria and antibiotics. Um, but actually, it's a very timely, our campaign is a very timely initiative, um, especially when you look and see the rise in fake medicines due to um, COVID. Um, and so we have an advisory board um, that is made up of industry experts. We're really grateful to, for their time and, and their support of the campaign. And then we have a multidisciplinary uh, committee, which is made up of a mixture of undergrad, postgraduate, and uh, KCL alumni um, there. And I, as, as mentioned already, I'm the founder and academic lead. So yeah. That, that's really cool because and like I think the diving is really interesting because like aside from <laughs> like even in the pandemic um like right now in India um things about corona are like they're really bad yes um, yes so like every day I go onto social media there's people posting about oh this person gave us like fake medicine and wow. now um my relative has passed away like it's really really saddening oh sorry to hear that um yeah disturbing and so yeah it's really important i think um you like so grateful for the work you're doing um, oh thank you i mean i think and and you know maybe we should have an offline conversation because i i do think that we are in this campaign we are only as strong as the networks we make globally because again going back to my point of um, looking at, and, and please, when I say this, it's not that the UK doesn't have their own challenges, no, but for example, in the UK, when we're looking at fake medicines, it could be online purchasing things from platforms that are not regulated. Um, but when we're looking at particularly, you know, as you mentioned, what's going on in India, it would be good to collaborate on the ground, but it's also quite difficult, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I can only imagine it's quite difficult if you're wanting to make a difference on the ground when you're also in the midst of the situation. And I think it's quite hard to um, balance that because ultimately you yourself, you're still trying to survive, right? And it's like, you need to look after yourself. And there's a big thing around that when you're trying to establish these uh, international collaborations, working on the ground, but it's like, how do you work on the ground as well as keep yourself safe? So it's 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 something that we are working to working on trying to understand better but it but it is really important to um establish kind of collaborations and partnerships to be able to see how we can all support each other and how we can support as well yeah that makes sense and like obviously like the greater the network the better the and bigger the impact of your organization exactly has. exactly um so switching gears a little bit, um, your initiative, um, STEAM-ED, uh, it says that it aims to break the norms expected in STEM communication through the arts. Mm -hmm. um, so so wh why and like how did you start this initiative? Yeah, so I started STEAM-ED Collective when I was a postdoc. So I, I will just explain, sir, and I please, I apologize if people know this, but um, so after, so in terms of the, just a little bit of career advice. So um, after whatever first degree a person does, um, might do a master's, um, most of the cases they do a master's and then from the master's, they'll do a PhD. And then after you've done your PhD, you can do something called a postdoctoral, postdoctoral research position. That's the next position. And 
effectively it's a research position where you're focusing on whatever topic or you're, you join a research group and then you're focusing on um, doing some work within that that group um, and so for me after my PhD I took some time out um, I went traveling for a bit and then I um, moved back down to London at the University College London and I was in an interesting position where my postdoc was in collaboration with mechanical engineer and pharmaceutics so it's quite an interesting interface and um, I moving back down to London for the first time I started to see a lot of street art and I, I remember walking, there's an area called Tottenham Court Road, and I was actually on Charlotte Street, sorry, and I was walking onto Tottenham Court Road, and there was this huge, like, street art by an artist called Invader, if anybody knows him, it's amazing, very interesting work, and I was walking, and I saw this, and I was like, can anybody else see it, like, people were just head down, you know, nobody seemed to care, but I was so intrigued by this piece of art, um, and I've always been very interested in art anyway, of just different forms. I've grow, grown up with a lot of art, music, visual and everything. So I was quite fascinated, sorry, I keep moving around. I was quite fascinated with this piece of art that was just in the middle of London. And some people were looking, some people were taking pictures, some people were ignoring it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if you could kind of combine, because we know that not everybody's interested in science and neither am I trying to get everybody to be interested in science but um, my thought process was that well we use a lot of government money to fund some of the research we do and there isn't a, a way to um, I, I feel there's a duty really to showcase to those who are contributing to the money to the pool of money that we have for research to kind of let them know what's going on <laughs> you know and so I then thought oh wouldn't it be really nice to combine um, street art with science communication and see how that could work so that's originally how steam med collective started which with the aim of engaging the public uh, with stem research through the arts particularly street art or public art um, because um, street art and public art is there, right? It's available. So it's without discrimination. You don't need a ticket to go and see the piece of art. You can just go see it there. Um, and so it means that it can be open to anybody and everybody. And so initially got some funding and we were part of a street art festival where we curated two walls, one on astrophysics and one on chemical sciences. A lot of people ask, oh, why didn't I make it about my research? But it wasn't about me. So that's why it wasn't about my research at the time. And um, that was really good. It went really well. The in initiative was going from strength to strength in this avenue of public engagement. I'm sorry, public art, street art to engage. Um, and then remembering alongside, I still had my career. So post one of the negatives about postdoc being a postdoctoral researcher is that it's a short contract. So my contract, it's not a, a, what we call um, a permanent role in that well it's a permanent but it's not like an endless contract so my postdoc was two years or three years I'm sorry I can't remember exactly um and so when it came to the end of that I needed to find a job right and so I was trying to keep the enterprise running um whilst also trying to figure out what I wanted to do remember I said it's all about reflecting what do I want to do so unfortunately I had to pause um Steam Ed Collective for a long time actually and uh, whilst my career, I was getting stability with my career. And then last year, the whole aim, it was like a big thing. Steam Ed Collective was going to come back bigger than ever in 2020. Um, again, with the same narrative of 
public art, but maybe looking at what we call STEAM interdisciplinary. So the name STEAM Ed Collective is science, technology, engineering, and now I have to remember how to spell <laughs> science, technology, engineering, arts, and maths, so STEAM. And then ed is to engage and educate and then collective because we're all in it, you know, it's all together. And so the aim for 2020 was to bring Steam Ed Collective back, but using street art again, this and the other. But as we know, pandemic hit. And so we couldn't do that. Um, and so this has actually been good because it allowed for some reflection um, of the enterprise and really thinking about how does how am I making sure that we are being we are engaging and we are educating and as mentioned before beforehand with steam Earth collective it was about engaging with scientists and artists and then facilitating a discussion between those two to produce a piece of work that was inspired by the scientists um research right so the artist would be inspired by the science or whatever it is and then develop um a, a piece of work or curate uh, yeah produce a piece of work um and I think for the time so I think when I started Steam Collective it was like 2014 2015 and I think for the time that was okay but on doing some further reading and reflection and, and understanding it's more about integrating so it's 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 more about what we call steam interdisciplinary which is kind of integrating um and using the arts using science to support um, whatever whatever we're trying to communicate um, and so these are the things that we're doing so right now we're actually wanting to we're actually building up on creating more of a global presence um, and trying to highlight these kind of steam interdisciplinary examples globally um, and and looking at where scientists and artists have collaborated in in unison to for impact to produce um whatever it's not even so much about the what they produce in the piece it's more about the impact and the understanding and um so so that's essentially uh what the initiative is is about and uh, the journey of the initiative and uh, we're going to be starting some webinars uh soon uh in may that will start kind of bringing that all together to facilitate these discussions. And we're going to have some very interesting, I don't want to give too much away, keep some suspense, um, some very, very interesting discussions around this sort of, um, this, this narrative around STEM and around the arts and how can we learn from one another. But the interesting thing is you find a lot of scientists have some form of art talent artist talent in some capacity and then you find a lot of artists have a very deep understanding of stem science um uh, concepts and principles and they use it in their work so it's just yeah for me i i, I yeah that's that's really how the, what the initiative is about and and where i hope things can can go with it um yeah i think it's interesting because um arts and stem are seen as like opposing ends but um, the way you're combining them is really interesting, which kind of brings me to my next question. Um, why do you think that they're so often seen as opposing ends and why is it important to combine the two? Yeah, it's, I, you know, it's a very tricky question because um, I don't even know if I have the answer to be fair, but it's a very tricky question because you're right that there is this sort of assumption that science is here, art is here and they're two worlds apart. It's going to be a really, I don't even know if I should say this as an example, people might think I'm really silly, but I, I, I think that, um, I won't say that example, don't worry, <laughs> but I, I think that the, 
the issue is that perhaps there was a time where pursuing a STEM subject was viewed as, um, I don't want to say better, but more credible, more potential for this. You know, it's like that's a more secure line, let's say, or more respected. And then there was an assumption that going down the artist route wasn't, which is not right at all. And a lot of people denied aspects of themselves by going down one route, you know, perhaps more STEM than maybe exploring the artist route. And I don't know why, I, I don't have the answer because this is a very, it's a deep debate question. Um, I, I don't know why there is this opposing avenue, but I think what has been nice over the last few years is that there's been a recognition of the need and it started off with education. So actually the STEAM concept was initiated formally many years ago by, I can't remember her name, I'm so sorry, but it, it was a, a lady, a teacher in America that she created this STEAM concept for education. So using all the various aspects of the, the acronym STEAM to educate and really highlighting the importance that art has in teaching various aspects of STEM topics. Then there's also been a greater understanding of the importance of art, teaching things like empathy for medical students, for healthcare professional students. So I, I think that over the years, perhaps people, maybe such as myself, who've had an interest in both worlds, have seen the kind of sweet spot in the middle where both can actually help to facilitate greater understanding and greater impact in various different areas, as I mentioned already, education and healthcare. And so for me, I think that in terms of, I think the second part of the question, which is like the importance of bringing them together, it doesn't always work to bring art and STEM together, art and science together, but I, I think what there needs to be more of in a broader sense is conversations and understandings between the two um, areas because there could be a sweet spot for other things. So just like, for example, a lot of scientists, um, so I'm being very general, but I would just say some scientists look at nature to inspire them to develop various things like drug delivery systems or um, things that would help in surgery, like engineering uh, for, for surgery and, and tools like that. A lot of STEM professionals, a lot of scientists look at nature for that, but also a lot of artists do the same thing. Now, if we could combine that sweet spot of understanding, looking at nature, if you had an artist and scientist perspective, who knows what you could create from that? So I really don't know if I've answered your question. I've sort of gone off into my own philosoph philosophical rant, but I, I think essentially what I'm just trying to say is that people need to collaborate more outside of their disciplines. I think because there's a lot of potential for synergy, for, for impact, you know, as a catalyst for impact. Um, and so that's what I hope will happen more. I'm, I'm also trying to lead by example with that I, I do. Um, in various aspects. And um, yeah, I think that's that's sort of what I meant to say in that area. Yeah, I think what's really cool is uh, when you mentioned that a teacher started the idea of STEAM because um, like as a student, I see this change in education. We have, um, a, we have mm. like a unit every year, which is just interdisciplinary learning where they teach us the mm. same concept from like different subject viewpoints. And it's really interesting nice. to see that. And, yeah. um, Additionally, to what you said, that um, for a long time STEM was seen as more credible. Um, yeah, I I don't know about um, like a lot of other places, but in India, I, like that is probably still really prevalent. You you can, mm. like India turns out engineers 
so far. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Engineering is quite a big one. <laughs> yeah, like a lot. Yeah. It's like, do oh, you feel? I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to ask. Do you feel there's an element of pressure to go into those fields, like to um, go into engineering, to go into STEM, because that's what is expected. Um. I personally feel like I have a really supportive family who would let me do anything, but um, good, good. it's also important to realize that a lot of people don't and mm. um, definitely like a lot, I'm like positive that a lot of students in India do feel the pressure to either go in like medical or yeah. becoming an engineer or something like that. Yeah, it's very interesting. I don't, I, I mean, and, and it is that thing of, you know, there are sort of cultural considerations as well when we're looking at making people feel more comfortable cultural geographical all those things when we're feeling when we're thinking about making students feel more comfortable to pick their passion and this is where so when I mentioned earlier about passion versus talent this is where a lot of people um, argue that passion is not necessarily the right choice because passion you may be passionate like let's talk about myself I was passionate about acting as I keep saying, the fact that, I mean, I, I was an extra on Skyfall. That's my claim to fame. And I didn't do anything else after that. But I had plans. Well, let's see what happens. But, and I did, I did, a, I did drama A-level fine. Now, whilst I was passionate about drama and acting, perhaps it's not my talent. Who knows? Um, and so if, let's say, maybe I follow, but my, let's say if drama was my only passion and I follow drama and it really didn't match with my talent, what's the consequences there and this is where some people um argue that following your passion may not be good because it might not be linked to your talent i don't know it's a philosophical discussion and debate i think we should have another meet another interview about that and just ramble <laughs> yeah and um like i think like you said in the beginning i think people who are probably the luckiest are one for with their passion and talent is the same <laughs> yes um, yes yes definitely yeah, we should probably do another interview for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I'll be able to, I'll, yeah, I don't even know if I'll be able to shed more light on it because it's a conversation I have with many people and nobody really knows the answer because it's such a gamble. Do you follow your passion or do you follow your talent? Because your talent you may not be passionate about, but you're good at it. I don't know. <laughs> um, I would probably say it's maybe different for everyone's case and like everyone has different contexts and things they want to achieve. So very subjective, I think. Yes, I agree. 